Hello, hello. Welcome back to The Line to Mastery. In this episode, we are joined by Matteo Rossini. Matteo makes his return to the podcast. He is a coach, a facilitator of breathwork, biomechanics, and betterment here in Austin, Texas. His focus is on living and creating embodied breakthroughs and transformations for those that he works with. In this podcast, we start off with some breathwork and some vocal toning to activate the vagus nerve and calm down the nervous system. That within itself is a treat and is going to leave you feeling incredible, not only for this podcast, yet for the rest of your day. After that, we talk about embodiment and utilizing movement as a first access point to getting back into the body. This podcast is filled with incredibly useful knowledge and getting back into your body, embodying your potential and building up resiliency. If you find value in this, send it to someone that will benefit. And thank you for listening. This episode was brought to you by Firefly Cacao. You can get the highest grade ceremonial cacao from Firefly using the code SLATCAM for 10% off your first order. And without further ado, Matteo Rossini. All right, bro. We're doing it. So starting off with some breathing? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Okay, we're gonna do some breathing, we're gonna make some sounds, um, and we're gonna vibrate a little bit. And when you're making the sounds, just really try to think of your body as a vibrational tool. Um, but we'll start with just taking a few big breaths and bringing one hand to your belly, maybe just kind of feel this inhale going deep and expanding your belly as you take it. Let's go ahead and just begin with a big inhale. Feeling that belly rise as you do. And then exhale, letting the belly drop as the breath falls out. We'll do one more. Again, trying to dig deep. Breathe into that belly. Inhaling in. Belly expands. And then exhale out. Belly drops. Belly drops. And then go ahead and bring a hand to your chest. On this next breath, we'll try to fill our chest up. So take a big inhale into your chest. Feel the chest full. Get big. And then exhale out the chest. And then we're going to do them both together. We're going to inhale to fill the belly. Fill the chest. And then exhale, relax chest. Relax belly. Let's do five more of those. Inhaling, filling belly. Filling chest. Exhaling out chest. And belly. And just four more, bigger with each inhale in. Belly expands, exhale, inhale, chest. Chest gets big, exhale, chest. Exhale, belly. Three more breaths like that. Inhaling, belly. Chest, bigger, extra sip, expand. Exhale, chest. And belly. Two more breaths like that and then we'll hold. Inhale, belly. Bigger belly. And then chest, bigger chest, all the way in. And just let it fall as the chest drops, belly empties. One more big breath, inhale, belly. All the way, fill it up, chest. Extra sip, top it off. And we're gonna hold that breath. Keep holding. On your exhale, you're gonna make the sound of U and H. So, ooh, ooh, and just vibrate in five, four, follow along at home in three, U and H. Exhaling with the big 
Ooh. Keep it going louder, vibrate. Ooh. And we'll do that again. Big inhale, belly. Big inhale, chest. Exhaling with that. Ooh. Deep vibrate all the way out. And then one more time like that. Belly. Chest. Deep and loud. Ooh. And then hold that breath. You're going to hold for five seconds. On your exhale, you're going to make the sound of E. E. In four, three, two. Exhale. E. Tap your forehead. E. More deeper. E. Higher. E. There it is. And again, belly. Chest. All the way through the crown. E. Okay, last one. Inhaling belly. Chest. A lot as you can. E. Exhale, making the sound of H and A with a relaxed. <sighs> and we'll do one more of those, but make it really yummy and vibrate it. Inhaling belly, chest, soft, relaxed. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, man, you got me vibing, vibrating. Turns out we're all vibration. This whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Just trillions of subatomic particles coming together to vibrate. It's one of the keys, you know, understanding that that is a factor. Frequency. Yeah. So explain what you just walked us through. I mean, we just did some breathing. I cued you guys to kind of connect to the two different chambers of your breath that we mainly focus on, our belly and our chest, just so that you could really feel the fullness of your inhales. You were taking it in. And we just did some full big breaths. And in just like five or six, if you really focus on taking as much in as you can, when you do that hold, you will feel a powerful state shift. I like to inhale my hands up overhead to kind of use my body as a mechanism to eating, getting as much breath into me as possible, just to oxygenate your system and feel that shift. And then we just added in some sounds. And I'm getting really into this, how different sounds 
connect to different like tones of the body. And I, I mean, I could go on the whole thing on, on that alone. Yeah. I mean, if you want to open up at least at, so it's like one of the, tunnels. some of the craziest experiences I've been having lately are at parties with a bunch of wizards. Cause I only party with wizards and we'll get like a few people who know how to tone and we'll be in the middle of the dance floor and we'll all just circle up and start freestyle toning. Like it's like singing mixed with freestyling mixed with toning. And we're all in the, like the properly primed state. And when you start to take the understanding of how these different frequencies and vibrations relate to different uh, movements within you, and then you start to use that intuitively as like a yoga practice, when you're in a flow state collectively with people, because you start to almost like sync with each other in like relate to each other through the frequencies and vibrations that you're kind of, you're, you're harmonizing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So those experiences have opened my eyes and wanted me to make me go deeper. In addition to uh, working with Roto out in Tulum, who's a wizard down in Tulum, who had us singing and doing a lot of these different chants. He's uh, the one who really inspired me to want to bring the oming to a different degree because he actually structured it in kind of a way that you've experienced where you use uh, the different frequencies in kind of a progression. So starting with like the lower ones and working your way up to the higher ones. Like we started with a ooh, which is very low and rude and bass. And then we went to a e, which is very like higher crown. Um, so yeah, that's what we just did there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then was that like, oh, is that just oh, that's like... The, that's the secret to life right there. Yeah. I always end with some good ha breaths of all the breaths. And I know... I don't want to say thousands, but definitely hundreds of different ways to breathe. And you can put them together and make thousands of combinations, right? But of all of them, that ah, breath, like that's the secret to life is turning your ah, into ah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I always like to end with those. Those are just so yummy. When you get really good at like sinking into that, ah, like that can just de-stress everything that frequency and vibration of like getting home at the end of a long day and just ah, like letting go it's almost that you know another version of that is the ah like it's kind of a and h and h and a seems to connect to that specific state yeah at least from my perspective it seems like this universal sound for just like relaxation and decompression (sighs) you know i mean you you think about someone coming home after a long work day they set down their briefcase and then just like first thing that comes out if they go to sit on the couch or something it's just like so that's why that's one of the first of all the tools that i could have used one of the first tools I use in that program is the ha breaths with a hot shower. So you combine, you do those for five minutes when you're in a really hot shower and dude, that'll release weeks worth of stress. Just like making yourself continue to do it. And as you're doing it, visualizing that every ha is releasing the stress. And when you're in a like heated environment where your muscles are already starting to like relax and soften, those two things together are powerful. And then turn that shit all the way cold, do some cold breaths, and you'll come out a new person. Yeah. Wow, man. You got me wanting to pause the podcast and just go do that real quick. The woo breaths with the cold are fun. Like the woo, like Ric Flair kind of like it's it's interesting, right? Like that frequency combines with the frequency of like getting in an ice tub. That like whoo, 
ooh, it's like that is the sound of that sensation. And in that way, like almost all of these sensations have some vibrational correlation. Yeah, it seems like that. Woo! It just, it, it gets you primed and ready and hyped for whether it be that cold shower and that cold water that you're going to go underneath or for a competition preparation, like literally whatever. But there is um, a high state of excitement when you're tapping into just that tonality of, woo! It's the Ric Flair, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, once again, like dropping into this podcast, because uh, this is round two, we, we've prepped ourselves prior to even dropping into the podcast, did another ice bath, dropped in that way. Now we're doing the breath work. And, and this truly is like the embodiment of, of the life that, that we live packaged into this beautiful product that happens to be this conversation, right? You know, I, I feel you're in a place um, where you've created lifestyle by design. You know, you're living the life that you've wanted to live because you created it for yourself. 100%. Yeah. And and that comes down to embodiment, which is what we're going to dive like pretty deep into in this conversation. I, w- I think where I'd like to start is kind of just explaining how I got to the word embodiment. Because that's a new thing. That's only been the last maybe six months that embodiment has been like the lens I've been looking at things through. I was always into transformational experiences. And while being into these peak states and what they can bring in terms of healing and shifts and creating lasting change, I was also teaching movement, like at first yoga and then other practices, and then eventually working with clients one-on-one. And I used to think the missing piece of these transformational modalities was the integration where like people could get the clarity, but they couldn't make it stick. Mm -hmm. So I put a lot of thought into the practice of like, how do we make something integrate? But a lot of that was like journaling exercises, right? And like mapping out your vision and creating sigils and visual reminders and uh, external systems of support. But through working with clients one-on-one, you know, I start to recognize this relationship that the body has to the mind and how it's, it's a stopping point for a lot of people. They can only integrate so much as their body actually embodies. So I was already doing this with my clients. Like I have people who are working on, for example, developing fluidity. That's something I've been talking about recently. I have a client who's trying to get more fluid psychologically. So how do we use uh, the way she moves her body to inform that uh, psychological predisposition? Because it is trapped in her body. People who have an inability to hold their nervous system under load translate to having an inability to have emotional resiliency in life. Mm-hmm. And this is just something that becomes very clear as you start to work with clients. Like you notice the people who can't keep their focus, like when they're doing something in fitness, can't keep their focus when they're doing something in life. And it goes deep. It's like almost the more that I look at it through this lens, the more I'm realizing that almost everything is in the body. And like, if we're going to try to fix it on these higher scale levels, we need to approach it through the body first. 
Mm -hmm. So yeah, now embodiment's like the thing that I'm <laughs> like, everything is getting kind of structured through the lens of like, all right, how do we make someone have this in their body? Yeah. And it seems like that has to be like a visceral experience. Like it, it, it needs to be felt right. Which is why I think it's really interesting that we're playing this game, or at least I'm playing it, where we're trying to maintain our posture as we're talking. We're trying to be aware of how we're holding ourselves in space as we're having this conversation. And I invite you to, if you see me lose that at any point, just point me back in the right direction. And that way together we can kind of like continue to drop deeper into the experience of feeling what it is to be aware of your posture. Because that's where it starts. It starts with creating this connection to what you're feeling in your body. Like that missing connection is step one. A lot of people are so far gone from the physical moment to moment experiences that their body is sending to them. It's like bridging that gap. That's just, just that's step one, but it's a big first step. Mm -hmm. So yeah, play along at home. Just practice your posture as you listen. Yeah. As you're turning into this conversation, notice where you are in time and space and how stacked and aligned your spine is. Um, it, it seems like a lot of people nowadays are so disconnected from their bodies that bridging that gap between the relationship and connection with their body is like that first step in embodiment. Yeah. So for those that are listening to this podcast right now and are resonating with this thought of like, yeah, you know, I do kind of feel disconnected from my body. What would you say is their first step? Got to move. <laughs> and how you do it is, is less important than just doing it to start. Um, so whatever level of accessibility that you are going to do, do that. And as you begin to build a movement practice and that could look like just going on walks around the block for 15 minutes depending on what level you're at maybe you start hiking maybe you start taking a fitness class maybe you start going to the gym maybe you start doing dance maybe you start training martial arts you got to move your body to know your body and through the practice of learning how to move your body you will begin to establish a relationship to your body and that's kind of step one right it's like you got to move it Mm -hmm. because in moving it, we are rewiring neurological connections and recreating new pathways of possibility for our body. Like the 360 with the mace is a great example because I can give the strongest guy in the world a mace, a 10 pound mace, and he can't do a 360 unless he knows how to do a 360. <laughs> it's like a very, it's a neuromuscular memory. And once you have that possibility open to yourself, it's almost like, you establish uh, more context to interpret what your body is asking you or asking for you from you. Yeah, that makes sense. So first step, just get out and move. Yeah. Find, find something that you resonate with that gets you excited to move, you know, and, and maybe it's something as simple as like you have a song that really gets you excited. Just play that song. And move and dance, yeah. Like the whole and duration of it, and wriggle know? and shake. Yeah, uh. yeah. Maybe do some toning. Maybe do some just bouncing around. Mm -hmm. um, and even if you are in a place where you feel pretty connected with your body, I think knowing that this is a tool that you can come back to if you're ever feeling a little bit disconnected. You know, like we just did a few minutes of breath work and and toning, and that state change 
happen just in a few minutes, like so quickly. And you can drop into that at any point in time if you're feeling a little, little off. And that's something that I've been really connecting with is like the nervous system and, and changing the state that you're in with the nervous system. You know, so many of us are in um, this hyperactive, sympathetic state and always firing, always triggered. And every single little thing that comes up is just, it compounds onto that. It's, it's like you were talking about with some of your clients that are so disconnected from their bodies and they're getting distracted um, as they're working out with you and training. And it's because they're, they're most likely in a sympathetic state and always firing in other aspects of their life. So that's, that's, those are the neurons that are wired together. So step two would be to start to work with this nervous system resiliency. It's like, okay, you're moving your body. You're starting to understand how your body moves. Next, you got to put yourself in uncomfortable situations. You got to start pushing the pace of whatever you're doing to the point that it challenges you because it's in those places of challenge and then being able to still move or hold or whatever it is that the nervous system has an opportunity to rewire. Because if you just do something passively, yeah, you will move your body, your body will feel some benefits, but it's at the point of challenge when you're really struggling and you force yourself not to fall apart where resiliency is built in a physical sense and an emotional sense. So for example, like any structure that I put you in is an opportunity to fight against resistance. It could be as simple as a plank, right? At a certain point, you're doing your plank, your body is going to want to start to collapse and compensate. Your weight's going to shift, your scaps are going to compress, your knees might start to buckle. These are all examples of structural failure, but they also reflect a tendency for that nervous system disposition. So if somebody is like really good at handling themselves when it gets hard in that plank, the theory that I have at least is that that translates to everything in life. Mm -hmm. It does. Yeah. I mean, it's obvious. It does. But people don't draw that connection quite strong enough. And I really like to bring it back to that because it's so much bigger than just the fitness goals that people typically go for. It's like, if you can help people recognize that's like, Hey, moving your body is essential for living. It's not just about looking good. It's like, it's about how you feel. It's, it's about how you show up in the world. Uh, it all starts in the body. Like people think they can bypass it. I know so many people in the spiritual enlightenment community who are not taking care of their body. And it almost seems like by not taking care of your body, there's layers of depth within your being that you're not able to access because you're completely foregoing this very necessary component of yourself, right? Like, like this, this is our vehicle for experience and maneuvering around the world. And if your vehicle is all fucked up, like you're not going to be able to go very far. Yeah. Well, what I think is what's really coming up for me that I'm just like got excited about is, okay. It's like, if they're not doing that, why aren't they doing it? And it's, it's this reciprocal feedback loop where the body is the energy is the mind is the body is the energy is the mind. It's like they're blocked in their body, which is creating the block in their mentality, which is stopping them from doing the thing they need to do to take care of their body. <laughs> it, it's a fascinating thing. 
Um, so yeah, approaching it on the level of story helps to just get somebody to the point where they are convinced to focus on their body. But I feel like if you never turn to the body, it's like you can never, I'm amazed that like psychology works for anybody or therapy works for anybody if they're not also having a physical practice. Like I know it does. People report it very well, but that just is surprising to me that you could just think your way out of something when all of it's up in here. And my experience has always been, you got to feel your way through it or feel it through you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you can only think about something so far before, like you actually just need to take action. But sometimes it works. So that's an interesting thing that I've never really considered before is like, sometimes you can get the story to get down to the energetic state, but then it only goes so deep if you don't take it to that next level. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. Um, I want to circle back to resilience and putting yourself into these states of voluntary discomfort and voluntary stress, because those are really crucial. You know, like we can, we can point to the tools of the ice bath. We can point to the sauna. Um, you can also look at the plank, like you said, for me, the tool has been highlighting to, to put yourself in this space of discomfort and being able to integrate that into your system, really embody it and, and move through it and then have this piece of evidence that you're able to get through that thing and then apply that to other aspects of your life because stress is going to come up no matter what, you know, there's going to be difficult things that happen in our lives. So if you're able to put yourself in these voluntary spaces of discomfort and of stress, it ripples out into the way you're able to potentially not react and still act when other stressors come up. So I want to ask you, what do you think the practice of balancing helps you embody? Just being a more balanced human being. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, like there's, there's, um, hmm. All right. Let, let me take a step back with, with the slack line. It's like this one inch path, right? That's kind of straightforward. Um, if, if you're taking steps and you're walking straight yet within that, that path, you're going to find yourself in situations where you lose your balance, you fall off the line. Um, and it's on you to pick yourself back up and try again. And, and that goes into course correction. And this idea of course correction is something that happens throughout all aspects of our life. You know, like we're not always going to be on track. We're not always going to be what we feel is on, on a path, like incomplete alignment. And to have this tool that shows you when you fall off and you get to witness the mind and, and the voices that it's speaking as you're falling off and understand like, oh, maybe this is the voice of fear. Maybe this is a voice of doubt, of insecurity. And then to pick yourself back up and try again and to like really embody that and bring that into other aspects of your life. It, yeah, it's, it's been monumental for me. Yeah. And I mean, it's so obvious in some ways that, yeah, practicing balance makes you a more balanced person. Right? It seems so simple to say, 
but like it, it's real. Like the way that your nervous system has to be able to deal with the chaos that it's having to go in this unstable situation, it like makes you able to find your center point in this instability of life as it's coming at us. Yeah, for sure. I think your program needs a little bit of balance work in it, bro. Because yeah. all this metaphor that you're tying into it is amazing, but if it's not embodied, if people aren't actually feeling that, I feel like it only goes so deep. And you can do something as simple as having someone stand on one foot with their eyes closed, just so they can experience what it's like to drop into this balancing state. Um, because I think giving people the gift of how you're thinking about balance is a really powerful thing you could bring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Noted. Yeah. Yeah, because it, it is so important, this, this program that I'm creating for professional athletes around around mindset and balance, that there needs to be like a physical balance component to it. And for a minute, I was thinking within the program, like, okay, so I've talked to eight different professional athletes on the phone, doing market research, getting um, just a really good idea as to like, what they're doing well and what they're struggling with. And, um, you know, they're crushing it when it comes to physical performance. They're crushing it when it comes to training yet. They're not crushing it when it comes to mindset and sometimes being disciplined and having like really strong routines. And the perspective that I'm bringing with the program is through the lens of the high line and the metaphors that I've gotten from that. So to bring a physical component of balance, whether it is the slack line or just like you said, closing your eyes and being able to balance on one foot, and maybe there's progressive options where it's like for sure. somebody could just close their eyes and balance. Maybe then you, I don't know if you've ever done this. This is a fun one. I would love to see how you do with this with your advanced balancing skills. But if you close your eyes, balance on one foot, and then start to circle your head, it gets so much harder. Mm. It's like, if, I don't know if you ever stood on a slack line and tried to like make circles with your head. Or have you ever stood on a slack line with your eyes closed? Yeah. Yeah. That's got to yeah. be a crazy experience. Yeah. It just really fires wild. up the proprioceptive awareness like insanely. So balance is another good way to get people to start to drop into themselves, especially for people who are not good at holding a focus because balance requires you to hold a focus. No doubt. So you a can't lot focus of, on anything else except for that one thing that you're doing. Otherwise you're not going to be balanced. So I think people with ADHD would benefit a lot from a balance practice uh-huh. because it, having the psychological experience of ADD is very similar to being in a balancing situation. It's like, you want to look over here, I got to focus. I got to find that center point. Mm. Mm. Wow. Wow. I just, yeah, just got this like really strong call to spread the slack line of some people with some ADHD. I think it'd be a powerful tool. I think it'd be a very powerful tool. I feel like it's a powerful tool for a lot of people, but like specifically. It teaches you you how to focus the attention on a center point because it doesn't allow your awareness your head to be thinking anywhere else because so much of your awareness needs to be tied into the moment and being in that body at that moment, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is the skill that we're trying to, that <laughs> the embodiment is. Yeah. Yeah. So what's cool is like the center point when you're first starting is like a focal point. Um, for example, like a tree would yeah. be a focal point, something that's not going to be moving. Um, so you can just focus on being stacked and aligned and almost like, using the tree as your model for how to be in your structure and how to be balanced. And then as you do it more, the, the focal point actually becomes your breath. That's the thing that allows you to stay balanced. Like you don't need to be paying attention 
to just the tree. You can start to look around a little bit. Yet you need to be coming back to the breath because that's what keeps you balanced. So many things to say. So many things to say. I think the eyes are a good place to start because that's huge. And this is something that traditional fitness is completely missing, which is where your eyes look determines such a deep degree of your postural structure. Like we don't recognize it, but this is something that yoga talks about all the time. When you're doing a twist, you let the eyes lead the twist. And if you put your hands on the back of your neck, it might be kind of hard to find like right underneath the base of your skull and you kind of move your eyes in a circle, you can feel the little muscles that actually move your skull, mm. your eyes. Is that so near like I'm, the occipital ridge around that area? Yeah. I feel it. Yeah. Wild. So if you're in a perfect posture, but your eyes are over there, you're actually out of alignment. Where your eyes look determine your alignment. But it's bigger than that because obviously where our eyes look also determine our focus and our awareness. It's like uh, it is a the focal point of our awareness where our gaze looks the majority of the time. So not only is it the focal point of our awareness, but it's a structural indicator. And you'll see people a lot of times when they train looking around all over the place. So what I have my clients do is I'll put a focal point in front of them. And I'll say, you have to stay focused on that point. And then I'll have them doing these complex movement patterns where they have to keep their eyes locked focus. This has a lot to do with martial intent, which is super important because it's a crucial way of thinking about how you should be training your body. Like our body is designed to defend itself and to flee primarily. So in any, in those situations, like your gaze needs to be on your target, right? Or to hunt, right? If you're hunting, like your gaze is on your target. This, this use of our gaze to direct how we're moving and the purpose behind our movement is a key component of what's lost in traditional movement practices. People do yoga and it's like, they're just, they're, their eyes are just kind of looking without like, you know, there's no directionality to it, no intention to it. Um, so the eyes are an interesting thing. I mean, I could just go like from the bottom down. I'm just going to run through the body from the top down and some of the, some of the things, right? It's like your forehead, the way that you tense your forehead has a lot to do with the tension that you hold. Like this is one of our key places that for people are like, you know, mm-hmm. if you can relax and soften your forehead, you'll automatically start to feel like a relaxing and softening state spreading through you. And then there's the eyes where the eyes look right. There's your shoulders, the way that your shoulders either roll forward or roll back. And this relates a lot to if we're trying to protect ourselves, right? This is a posture that we're prone to be drawn into because it's also, it's the way gravity's pulling us, but it's also the way that like society is pulling us with all our focus and attention forward. And this is actually having an effect because when you hold your shoulders forward like this, the psychological consequence is you feel less confident mm-hmm. because this is a fetal protective, like protecting my organs, protecting my heart, protecting my soft spots, baby posture, whereas shoulders back, wide, heart exposed, vital organs exposed. This is a confident posture, a uh, stable posture. So that's another point of awareness, right? The way that we engage our transverse abdominus is huge. Like the slight suction in of our belly button, that's been completely collapsed on a majority of people. If I was to talk about what psychological effects that have, I'd say it's a huge disconnection because without this center point, we almost can't properly engage everything else. There's the ability to lengthen through our spine, which has a lot to do with fluidity, right? Because people who have very rigid spines 
like don't have a lot of emotional and psychological fluidity. And then people who have spines who are way too loosey goosey and don't have the ability to hold that straight neutrality are a little too fluid sometimes. And you see this in the people in your life. It's like, once you start looking at it through this lens, you're like, holy shit, everybody is an embodiment of their body. Mm -hmm. Like I can look at someone's body and tell what kind of person they are, which is like, you shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but like it's, I'm finding it to be true. And maybe it's just the lens that I'm looking at it through, but it almost seems truer than just a story because it's like, it's it's like, you know, stab you in the arm. You're going to feel it like no matter what you think about it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's probably some degree to where you can like see the way someone maneuvers through life with their body and how, how that movement dictates how they end up acting and also understanding that there's more to the story than just that. Right. You know, it's like, you can see that as something that's a little bit service level with a little bit of depth, but it's not the full picture of who they are. Well, one thing is that it's not easy to look at somebody's body and really know their body. You can make a quick superficial judgment of seeing somebody who's like just super hunchback and clubs and stuff like that. And yeah, it's obvious, but most people are more, nuance than that you know they might look like they have a good body good structure but Mm -hmm. then it turns out their spine is super stiff and it Mm -hmm. turns out they don't have an ability to rotate or somebody might not look that impressive but they're super you know in tune and connected and everything's flowing and functional and well or you might not find out until for a month or two of working with someone it's like oh your abductor is like tight and locked and then understanding like what does that connect to like is that that has to do with like this trauma that you have because that's the other crazy thing is that all these emotional story, the, the like energetic traumas that we experience in our life have a place in the body as well. Mm-hmm. And that's where shit gets really deep. And now it's like, we're rolfing you, we're, we're fascia releasing you to fix your PTSD. <laughs> like, and then, yeah, it's, it's, I think this lens has just become an obsession of mine lately. Yeah. No, I feel it's a very nice it's a very necessary perspective in which to see the world through and understanding that like our movement patterns go so much deeper than just the way we've been moving, you know, like it, it really can go back to childhood trauma and maybe having, um, your father abandoning you. And now that's translated into hunching your back more because you haven't felt secure ever in your life. And now your body's modeling that. It's fascinating stuff. Truly. The hips, the knees, the feet. The feet are another thing that I'm fascinated with. Because no one ever teaches us how to fucking use our feet. No. Like, it, I, I wonder, what part of... I mean, you have a very good relationship with your feet. You're fucking a balance guy. I mean, it's all in the feet, right? It's the connection point. What part of your foot do you think about when you're walking, touching the ground first? It's like the fact that there's not even like a thought there yeah. instantly is like says a lot about like how little we actually like can and you're a fucking mover. I think most people have no fucking idea. So, so I'm curious to hear what you'd say. Yeah. So yeah, a specific part of my foot, I would say probably, um, you know, like, the toes and what would you consider this part of the foot? This part right here? Yeah. This part or this part? Um, kind of just like the whole, whole piece of it. 
So I break the feet down into a few different locations. You have uh, this pad on the big part of the ball of your three toes. You have your big ball of your toe and your big toe, and then you have your heel. And this would be the main connection point that I recommend people land on the ground with. Um, but there's like whole schools and different theories about this. The one that I am really liking is, yeah, that being the main connection point, kind of like the outside uh, edge of the front of your foot. Yeah, I would say when it comes to like walking barefoot on the ground, which I've done a lot of, like I have some pretty resilient feet because I've spent so Gotta much build time. build those monkey feet, man. People ain't getting these feet gains in, bro. Yeah. So I'll either be barefoot or wear some form of barefoot shoe. So I have Earth Runner. So those are like my barefoot sandals. And then I have Vivo barefoot shoes. And like, and that's step, talk about step one. Step one is you got to get your feet out of shoes. Yeah. You got to get your feet on some ground. You gotta, you gotta, tr- you gotta get your feet coming to life, right? Because and there's a lot of different ways to look at the body, but one good way is from the bottom up. And almost every step you take can either be degrading you or improving you based on the way that you're doing it. It can either be sending little uh, earthquakes through an unstable system, or energy could be transferring smooth and fluidity based on it could be degrading your joints or it could be building your joints up. Mm-hmm. And most people have like no thought about their foot in that equation Um, because the way that your foot lands really dictates everything up the chain. So yeah, that's an obvious one that is getting more popular nowadays, but man, they really fucked us up with shoes, bro. Especially the shoes that they have. Nike shoes. Like all those pads they put in for like arch support. Yeah. I was reading Phil Knight's, uh, he's the guy who made Nike his autobiography shoe dog great fucking inspiring dude that dude hustled shoes out of his car for like 15 years before nike blew up like his story is amazing but he talks about how they got like the big foamy things it's like a nasa guy came in and like pitched it to them and they were like i don't know about this looks a little weird but then it worked and they did it and it's like now it's everywhere and it fucked everything up before that the shoes were like you could actually feel the ground a little bit yeah that like interesting how one invention like without really perceiving the consequences. And it's not even like it's a bad idea. It's just, it's a bad idea to be adopted to the degree that it was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, like if, if maybe that was a shoe that people wore every now and then, like only when you're like training for a race on concrete for long distances. Yeah, for sure. You know, that see, that would be a great purpose for it because it fucking hurts to like yeah. be on concrete running barefoot or with but at some, the same like, time, you can build up some resiliency there. Like I have been running in my zero shoes more and more lately and it's not like I recommend it, but it is, you know, like most things like you can build up to it over time and I think that resiliency that you build from running barefoot on cement is like, that's a good, I mean, your feet get strong as fuck. If you're running right, if you're running wrong, you'll fuck your shit up so quick. That's like the caveat. See, when I'm running, I'm like hyper focused on what part of my foot is keeping the inside ankle bone high, how I'm transferring and pivoting the force off it as I go. It's really interesting, man. Running has become like a meditation for me lately. I, I, I never was a runner, but since I get learning about gait mechanics and hearing all these different theories and like playing with them when I move, it's like running has become this just joyous experience. Yeah. It's, so it's, how, it's how it should be. Running should be a joyous experience. You look at dogs that are fucking having a blast running around. 
Um, people have made it like a thing that hurts you. So out of a preference though, would you rather run on some asphalt or run on a trail? hundred percent on a trail and hundred percent. Yeah. I feel the like the reason it. I run on no. asphalt is because it's convenient. I just run around the block. No doubt. Um, so to circle back real quick to like connection with the feet, huge. I've, I've noticed when I'm slacklining and highlining, like finding balance again with my feet. Like if I'll get out of balance, then there's so many aspects and spots within my foot that I can find balance or reconnect myself with the line. If I were to like lose that stack a little bit, you know, just like a slight, even like 17 degree rotation of my foot will allow me to reconnect and correct myself, you know? Um, so, so that's been a fascinating thing to, to witness within the practice. And it wasn't always like that, but now that I have like a greater state of mastery within the sport, I am able to see like how even just a small degree of difference I can correct myself with. Do people compete in slackline? Yeah. How do you compete in slackline? Um, so most of the competitions right now, I would say are trick lines. Tricking. Okay. That makes um, sense. Yeah. so like two inch slack lines that are, and they get like, really a, it's tight. like judge scored. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I bet that shit's crazy. It's wild. Yeah. yeah. Um, freestyle highlining. I feel there's going to be more competitions. There's been a few, but it, as far as like trick lining is a little bit more. How accessible. would you do a freestyle highlining comp? Like, what does it look like if it's not tricks? There, w- there would be tricks. Freestyle highlining okay. is an, a different aspect of the sport that also has tricks. Um, it's, it's just like you're doing tricks on a highline that's super bouncy and you're not really leaving the line. Like that's kind of the difference between the two is like one is a one inch. It's up high. Um, there's Does anybody tension. do speed slack lining? Yeah, there's speed walking as well. Ah, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, there's speed cool. walking. Um, and that's another form of competition too. Yeah. Um, I could see that being really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like as the sport develops and it gets bigger and then they have like multiple parallel lines and you can have like people racing against each other, that's going to be so much fun. Yeah. That seems super doable. Yeah. Oh, for sure. It's just having the right spot for it. But I mean, like once you have the right spot, then it's Maybe just like a matter of course where you slack line here, you do this trick here and then you, <laughs> yeah. I mean, so that's the thing, right? Like the only limitation is your own imagination. True. Um, so yeah, man, but embodiment embodiment is, is so important for all of us. And it really does start with the body, you know, and and having these visceral experiences and starting to integrate those. And I like how you were saying that you noticed, um, this lack where people would have these peak state experiences, but not really be able to like bring it back home into the body and integrate it. And, and that's something you see with like people going into ceremony or like even going on like a really wonderful vacation or even going to a music festival, you know, like you have all these beautiful lessons and downloads and people. And then, um, some people just come back home to the same environment and and don't do anything to switch it up. And then it's almost like a thing that experience you had is just gone so quickly. Yeah. 
People got to release their fashion more, man. People got to release their fashion more. It's all fucking stored in here. <laughs> and you can get it out just by like lying on it the right way with the right lacrosse ball. But it takes a lot of patience. Mm-hmm. I don't even practice it as much as I should. So, but it's, it's so powerful. Like I've seen, yeah, I've seen, I've seen people change, which is the cool thing. It's like I have clients and I've seen them through this practice start to be different people. And that's such a beautiful thing to witness, you know, when somebody comes to you one way, does the stuff and then it works, you know, the tools work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They do, especially when you apply them correctly. And I think the, the missing correlate, the missing thing is the correlation between the specific understanding of the ways our physical practice informs our emotional practice. So like I'm talking about the forehead as a relaxation, the gaze as a thing, the shoulders as a thing, the, like all of this stuff, I guess it's kind of known, right? Like these are things, you know, but maybe it's just not emphasized enough. Maybe, I don't know. You know, what's interesting, man. Posture used to be a thing. You remember at the table? Good posture, kid. Mm -hmm. And I used to think it was like manners. (laughs) Like that used to be a thing in our society that people would call each other out for posture and like hold each other accountable to good posture. Yeah. How cool is that? I don't see much of that anymore, but like it used to be a thing at some point in time and people didn't know a lot of the stuff that we knew. They just, I don't even know why they, it gets an intuitive sense that you should have good posture, have better posture, son, pick your posture up. And, and I feel like that's something that as people are listening to this podcast, they're going to under, like, they're going to hear a lot of this stuff and be like, oh yeah, that makes so much sense. Yeah. But until you connect with the information, it, it's almost but they, like we didn't have the articulation. We didn't have the articulation. So when someone was telling me as a kid, have good posture at the dinner table, I was like, why? You know, I didn't understand all this stuff. I didn't understand how having good posture contributes to the flow of energy through my being, which contributes to how I feel moment to moment. Like if somebody said that to me, maybe I would have been practicing good posture from a younger age. But I just thought it was like being polite to have good posture. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That was like the connotation in my mind. Yeah. I So I started to drop into body language and posture like back in eighth grade. And just understanding how being stacked and aligned and having great posture actually created greater sense of confidence and happiness and fulfillment within the body. And it's fascinating that like really it just starts with your posture and your body language. I wish I'd known at eighth grade, bro. I didn't know at eighth grade. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had a really difficult time with girls in eighth grade and I would just go on some Google rabbit holes and be like, what, what do I need? Yeah. 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 I was like Googling how to hug. Yeah. (laughs) How to have good posture and like body language. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I used to, I used to, you know, I think we've all Googled something like that at a certain time. And I, I remember like learning. Yeah. in like a pickup sort of sense that body language is super important. Which is interesting because even then it didn't click like it's clicking for me now. Even then I didn't really like, I got that. Yeah. You look more confident, 
But I didn't get that you like felt more confident in what the implications of that were. I thought it was like, oh, I hold this posture. I look more confident. But I didn't realize. And even I remember watching a TED Talk video like many years ago, maybe eight years ago, where it was talking about how they did sci- uh, studies on the science of making people hold confident postures, how they felt, and then making people hold fetal postures, and how it's almost impossible to stay happy when you're holding this state for too long, and almost impossible to stay sad when you're holding a smile with a good posture for too long. So, like, the science is there to understand it, and I, I knew that back then. I guess it's just been a deepening, deepening thing, and getting massage work done on myself is really help me to comprehend the dimensions that it goes down into. Because I had a fascia release practice, but it's nothing like having uh, Sarah Slack's hands on you. Girl's got some hands on her, and she'll get deep into like areas that you didn't even know existed mm-hmm. and find stuff that you didn't even know was there, and she'll be putting pressure on it, and you're like, why am I thinking about my parents right now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like it's all woven into the fabric of our being. In layers, and we have to like start to unwind them layer by layer so that we can even get down into the deeper parts of it. And I think once the energy comes up, once you've released it physically and you start to experience it, that's a good time to then start to focus on it on a story level, right? Because it's fresh. It's like the energy is there to be moved and worked with and maybe reprogrammed properly, but. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like you'll have much success with that missing component. And it seems like it's been missing, man. Like fit for service should be leading fascia release. <laughs> that should be a thing. People should know how to fascia release themselves. Mm-hmm. Which is the reason it's a big part of my program. And it's like my program, the seven day program could have been funner, could have been cooler. But it's like this is what's going to work. And this is what people need. Do people want to sit in fast release for 20 minutes? Do people want to clean their rooms? Probably not. <laughs> but if they do this, it will work. Yeah. I mean, what's, what's more important having fun or really alchemizing and creating transformation? Yeah. You know, I mean like even when we did the ice bath earlier, we both sat for five minutes and I was like a minute and a half in and I was like, fuck it's so cold how am i gonna last and i was like considering taking my hands out at least and i was like no dude just sit with it it's okay surrender and come like minute three i was like whoa i'm good um and and the same thing can be applied for like some of this fascia release or even just cleaning the room you know like you just need to go through the resistance of the process uh, that comes up initially and pushing through that initial state will allow you to actually like enjoy more of the process and respect the transformation that has come, you know, and it's so quick, right? Like let's say your room's messy. You give it 20 minutes, it's clean. And then like all of a sudden, dude, your state is so much better. You just feel so much lighter, clear in the mind. And, and that's another wild thing too. Like how, your external world is a reflection of your internal world and vice versa. You know, like if your internal world is really messy, you look around your external world, it's probably messy too. You know? Thousand percent. Yeah. Thousand percent. That's why I start with making people clean their room. (laughs) Step one, right? Write an attention. Step one. Step two, clean your room up. 
Because if you're going to do any sort of deep work, it's got to be in an external space that has the capacity to take you there. Yeah, the internal is the external. It's a few things, right? The external environment feeding back on it is super interesting because that's another piece of the puzzle where it's like people only have so much willpower. So they have to kind of create systems of external influence on them. Which, okay, kind of ties me back to you talking about the stories going on when you're in the ice bath. Because that's an interesting understanding of this hierarchy of evolving sensations that I'm kind of pointing to. Where you're in the ice bath, the body is cold, which is leading to this emotional state of anxiety and wanting to flee, which is leading to the story of like, I need to get the fuck out of here. So how can we use the body and the mind to kind of find peace in that state? I've been doing this trick forever where I just get in and I say, I'm going to be here for 30 breaths, which allows me to compromise with that voice in my head and to get out of it into my body mm. because I'll be cold as fuck. And I'll be like, all right, just 10 more breaths. Cold as fuck, one more breath and just count them one breath at a time. Just the next breath. I kept, and it kind of like is a, negotiation with the story in your mind, right? And then when I get to that 30 second hold, there is a physiological shift where the oxygen makes it easier for me to settle in. And also the story that I'm telling myself is once I get to 30 breaths, I'm good. Like I got this at 30 breaths, this hold, I'm, I'm good once I get in there. So it's a use of like the stories to control the sensations, to keep the body in place but also a use of the body through breathing to compromise with the story and bring it back into the moment to get outside of the story, which is trying to trigger the energy to trigger the body to move. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's almost like the compromise is that non-negotiable, like whatever story comes up, it's fine. It's okay to be here. And I've committed to doing 30 breaths. And the crazy thing is you, the story has so much, and this is not something I've thought about a lot, but the story has so much effect on the physical. And this is the placebo effect. Like I've been telling myself I love ice baths for years. So for me, an ice bath is like, I love it. And like, I really do because that's just the way that I've wired that stimulus into me for, for so long. Every time I got an ice bath, like, oh yeah, I love this shit. Oh yeah, give it to me. And then getting out and being like, that was the fucking best. Yes, I love that. Where it's like, I'll still feel resistance, right? There is that energetic uprising of resistance to wanting to get in which is like tied into my nervous system and my body having this intrinsic want to not be cold. But the story I've created around it is so powerful that it kind of transmutes that energetic uprising into excitement. And then the sensations that I'm feeling into pleasure, whereas most people are like, this is the worst feeling ever. This is hell. I can't stand it. It feels like I'm being stabbed by knives. Me, I'm like, this is fucking great. This is heaven on earth. I love For this. Sure. Yeah. So the story informs the sensation as well. And the sensation informs the story. It's a very interesting feedback loop. I mean, it's just like you said, you see it with people before they even get in the ice bath. Like those that really dread going into the ice bath beforehand yeah. are most likely going to have a really difficult experience. Whereas like those that are like, you know, it's cold. Yeah, it's one of the best sensations ever. And I know how awesome I feel afterwards. And it still feels pretty good when I'm in the process. They're more likely to have just a better experience, right? 
So step one, move your body, right? Step two, put yourself in those uncomfortable states. Push your practice to the point that you are forced to deal with the stories that come up when you are energetically at your limit and energetically stressed. Mm -hmm. Because through holding your body in controlling the stories that are happening, like you get better at working with that. All right, next, step three, start to multidimensionalize the way that you're doing that. So if you have a movement patterning that is super simple and non-multidimensional, then start to do more different things, right? In complexity, there is opportunity for new connections. And in the novelty for new connections, there's a lot of possibility for growth. That part, I like that. Um, so yeah, if somebody's just squatting all day and like that's their movement practice, cool. Then they've started to push it where they're pushing themselves with the squatting. Now it's like, all right, man, let's do some other things and keep pushing that diversification of things that you're doing and put yourself in situations that are more realistic to the chaos of life. Mm -hmm. Some attributes of life is that it barely ever comes at us in a balanced form. How often do we work out in the gym with equally balanced weights? It's like the majority, 90% of what people do is equally balanced weights. The vast minority of what you experience in life is equally balanced weight. So it's like, all right, maybe we start to implement some of these like characteristics of life into the way that we're moving. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Put yourself in a unstable position, like with balancing, right? Working in unstable positions, but also offset sorts of loads. Where like maybe there's weight on one side and not the other side, but you still have to hold this structure as you're moving. So that's a better way to actually like learn how to deal with the unevenness of life. And then you actually start to like move from one place to another and explore different ways that you can do that instead of just standing still and moving, which is like another thing that a lot of people do when they're training is they'll stand in one place and curl. They'll stand in one place and squat. It's like not actually moving through space. And in the process of learning how to actually move through space, um, you have an opportunity to coordinate yourself. So I'd say that's like step three. <laughs> step three almost feels like fall in love with the discomfort. Yeah, but also vary the kinds of discomfort that you're having. Because you can't have the same stimulus on your body over and over and over uh -huh. and get a the results you're like a, – a, your body is meant to be moving multidimensionally. And when you actually repeat a pattern consistently, that's a really good way to get locked into a certain way of thinking consistently. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's when you start to create new novel connections with your movement, you create new novel connections in the way that you're thinking. And all of a sudden, like this problem that you've been looking at through one frame has another frame that you can look at it through all because you stop doing just one thing over and over repeatedly physically first. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Another tool that I like to use um, when going into something discomfort is connecting with future Cam, who's already been through the discomfort. And he tells me it's all good. You know, yeah. like it's just a little uncomfortable and I'm all like I'm all good. You know, and so this is something. Um have you ever sat with combo? I haven't done the combo yet. Okay. 
So for those that don't know what combo is, it's the Phylomedusa bicolor. It is a frog that comes from the Amazon where people apply the venom from the frog into their skin to purge and, and cleanse themselves. And it's a 10 to 15 minute process that's fucking super uncomfortable while you're in it. And there's this thing with combo called the Amazonian vaccine. And it's three combo sessions within one full lunar cycle. Um, and I sat with combo to get the Amazonian vaccine when I was in Costa Rica. And every single time that I sat with combo, I had to connect with future me 15 minutes away. That was like, dude, it's not as bad as you think. It's okay. And you know how much better you feel. I feel so much better. Like you're good. Just sit with the process. Um, and the process is uncomfortable because you feel your blood coursing through every single vein and I've, in your body. I've, I've it makes wired your face swollen. It makes <laughs> you puke. You know, it's like really uncomfortable. I've wired my brain so hilariously with that when you start describing the discomfort, I get excited. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want some of that. Like, and <laughs> yeah, and I I feel the same way. You know, like I've I've sat enough with these spaces of discomfort that I know how good they are for me and how awesome I feel when I've sat with the process, you know, it, it feels like the warrior way. Yeah, it does. Level four, step four, fight people. <laughs> Speaking of the warrior way, like, man, there is something and I'll speak for men in particular, but I think definitely girls benefit from this as well. But there's something about masculine energy that requires roughhousing. Mm -hmm. Like if you are not inter inter interacting physically with another person, like touching another person, moving another person's body in a like competitive sort of way, um, there's something that happens where it's almost like this little mammalian fight or flight response inside of us is underneath it all always like having a baseline level of anxiety because it doesn't feel confident if it had to defend itself. So training martial arts is like, man, at least for me has been such a life changing thing in terms of embodiment and like, just it, it's 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 like the movie Fight Club, bro. It's like there's something to realizing you're not made out of glass that is super powerful for the way you deal with what the light the world throws at you. You know, where it almost feels like whatever fucking comes, man, I can sleep on the street. You know, like I can take a punch, I can defend myself. Like it's 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 a very deep. It's it's a it's a deep deep thing that I think is can't be overemphasized enough. And I know you've heard every martial artist say it <laughs> like everyone, everybody who trains martial arts is always talking about how much everyone should train martial arts. But then we forget it's easy to take time off. Like I didn't train martial arts for like two years and we feel like it's just easy to get disconnected from how powerful of a medicine that is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, it offers you to feel safe in your own body. And then going back to movement patternings, the martial intent, right? It's like 
This is one of the ways that our body has been built for is to defend itself in the chaos of like an interaction with somebody like that's just something that can't be replicated outside of that situation. Mm -hmm. There's something in the reactivity that, yeah, a lot of these thoughts are not fully formed yet. I'm like, I'm seeing signs of things that I'm like, man, there's something there and trying to better be able to understand like, what exactly is it that engaging with another person in a competitive way does when you have to react to what they're doing. Something as simple as playing like a game of shoulder touches. Have you played shoulder touches? No. Say one person is trying to touch the other person's shoulder and not get touched. So we're both just trying to touch each shoulders without getting touched ourselves. Sounds fun. It's really fun. And it gets you into this like flow state of having to like react and move. It's like a simple range game, but there's something to that too as well that I haven't quite exactly tied what psychological uh, I keep trying to find other words for attribute or characteristic, but attribute or characteristic is like tied into that specific physical element. And I think creating a better wealth of like knowing how these physical components specifically manifest, I think is, I mean, that's like what I'm feeling called to bring. It seems, seems needed. At least that next, the next thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, is there anything about embodiment that you feel like you haven't covered within the podcast? And real quick, yeah, there's this this idea of decompression, right? And this relationship between tension, relaxation, flexion, extension, and contraction, and expansion. Mm-hmm. And I think expansiveness is the biggest attribute that I think people need to develop physically and, and mentally, right? Expansiveness. How do we do that? Well, we can actually expand our body. One is just by like pressing your head tall to the sky. As you do that, you feel some decompression of your spine. Other way is like kind of lift your shoulders up and then take a big breath into your chest. And that practice can be, notice how your belly button has to suck in to do that. That engagement of your TVA allows you to create positive expansive tensioning through your upper body. This practice can be expanded so that we're constantly trying to open our body in various ways. And I think that's a good starting point for people to start to understand. When they can find the parts of themselves that is unable to open and expand, those are good areas to start exploring, releasing um, for whatever <laughs> traumas, <laughs> anything that they might be holding. So that's a little last little seed I want to leave with people. Try to find expansiveness in your body mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and not collapse. Yeah. Yeah. And compress. It seems like so many of us are in that state of contraction of like fight. Flight. We are at war with gravity. Make no mistake. Gravity's trying to put us under the ground at all times. This is a constant fight that we are engaging in. And the way that we engage in this war against gravity dictates how we operate when we get older. (laughs) You know, you see people hunched over like with a cane moving like this, right? And you see people who can, who are in their eighties and can move around and move great. I think we have an opportunity because we know more about the body now than we ever have. Mm -hmm. But we also have a lot that we're working against because we are so culturally bent in one tensional configurational direction but at least by understanding that problem we can better work to fix it and that's really what i'm looking to do yeah 
Love and Tail. It's a pleasure as always, man. Um, Nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you crushed it. Embodiment. This is it. And I feel this lays a really powerful framework for a lot of people to start to connect with and create some new neural patterns and, you know, find that discomfort and integrate that, embody that into their systems and start to move with it, interact with the world. I mean, yeah, if I could lead, if I could leave one thing, it's just understanding that the body should be prioritized first, like in, 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 in all things, like when you're having a bad day, move your body first. When you're depressed, move your body first. Like, don't try to figure it out. Don't try to cope with like first deal with it physically Mm -hmm. and then deal with it energetically. And then you'll be able to cope with the stories a little better. People try to do it backwards if they even try to get down to the body at all. And that's just been kind of uh, a big key that I hope people take away with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because like being in the body and moving it creates that state change, which allows you to perceive whatever's going on in your mind from a different lens. The body comes first. The body comes first. The spirit is in the body. It's not, we have this idea that it's outside of us up there. And that's really pulling people away from themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So we need to, it needs to be spread in the spiritual community and the transformational community. Slash in there for a second. Slipped up. It it needs to be sped that the body comes first. I think that needs to be like one of the key uh, pillars upon which everyone's personal practice is built. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it just makes life so much better, man. And it's undeniable. It's like, try not doing that. See how it works out for you. <laughs> and then and then try doing it and see how much better you feel. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And the thing is, it's all relative. So you might not even know how much better it could be because you're so used to how it is. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. the case for a lot of people. They don't understand why they should go to the gym. It's hard. They don't feel the goodness that they're going to feel. The future cam is going to feel, right? They're not willing to suffer through it. And yeah, I mean... It's, all spirals and that's the thing it doesn't even need to be the gym you know like you could just get outside play around in some grass get some sunshine and like that movement is enough you know you don't have to like throw around a lot of heavy weight it's nice you know like that's a great tool but it's not it doesn't have to be the thing it doesn't have to but heavy weight has a lot of value for your emotional resiliency and man, there's so much more we could talk about the way that grip strength correlates to your ability to engage with the world, mm. like holding heavy weight in your hands. Like our hands are fucking fascinating. Our hands are these weird things that allow us to interact with the world and create and manipulate. And there's a lot to be said about holding heavy weights and being able to like build strong hands. Mm-hmm. So much more I could say, Cam. We could do it. Like, Have me on again. We'll do another we'll podcast. Do, we'll, do it. we'll do it. Round three. Hand play. Yeah. <laughs> we'll teach you the secret ways of the mudras. Yeah. Dude, there is fucking some shit with mudras, man. For sure. This shit right here. Yeah. We'll drop into some more wizard talks for sure. Well, my brother, thank you for coming. I love you. Love you too. It's been a pleasure as always. And um, yeah, until next time. Beautiful stuff. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the line to mastery have another episode coming at you next week really excited about that one gonna keep it on the dl until then and and if this podcast brought you value 
Go ahead and send it to someone you love that you know will also gain some value from it as well. And until then, much love. See you next week. Peace. I love you.